This podcast is part of the Red 5 Network. For more Red 5 Network podcasts, visit red5network.com. Hey, everybody. Jim Cummings here with an important announcement. Are you listening? Good. I have no idea what the hell is going on with these conversations with the fake Onaka and the digs to the big No, we're doing it. It's a tribute. It's a tribute. They're going to make me sick. This is Hondo Onaga. Ignore these Nimrods. Welcome to Conversations. I'm Charles. And I'm Pat. And this is episode 77. A long time ago in theaters far, far away. What started as a space fantasy opera merging the pizzazz of Flash Gordon with elements of Kurosawa and Joseph Campbell in the mind of George Lucas was sketched out by Ralph McQuarrie. This perfect blend led to a franchise that would forever change the world of entertainment. Star Wars. A New Hope. But of course, as we knew it back then, or as I knew it back then, just Star Wars. Right. That's why I said Star Wars, A New Hope. Right. Is a New a Hope in theaters. Yes. Right. A little, so this, yeah, yeah. little pause. Sometime. A little dramatic pause. Yeah. Right. Which, yes. by the time I saw it, it was A New Hope. It was re-released. So it was. Okay. Yeah. It's, so. It's all personal. I'm sorry. Wars. It's all about me. <laughs> it is. Yes. Um. So this is episode 77. As any good Star Wars fan knows, you have a certain soft spot in your hearts. It's obviously the year that Star Wars was released in theaters. Absolutely. So obviously we needn't rehash the events of the film because if you listen to us and you haven't seen it, This is probably the only time I'll ever say this. Stop listening to us and go see it. (laughs) Um, Otherwise, listen to us at all times. Right. Uh, So it's why we're here, Mm -hmm. why we're doing this. So I think it deserves a special 77th episode homage. Absolutely. And I will go as far as to probably twice a month when I just happen to look at my phone. When it's mm-hmm. at 77% charge, I will take a screen capture of it just because it's fun. 77 occupies a very special place in my heart. You know, I don't want to draw any loose connections to seven being a biblical number or anything or, or 77 being two mm-hmm. of that number. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's nice. There's a reason why seven is a lucky number. Yeah, and and that's the reason. (laughs) So we want to discuss its impact, what it's done on screen, kind of how it's influenced movie making and the entertainment industry and our lives as well. Very cool. Great way to honor the movie. Yes. I guess we can start with back in the good old days when we first saw the film. As... Some people may know, all four or five of them. My origin story with Star Wars is seeing Empire Strikes Back first. What a coincidence. Exactly. And how fantastic is that? It's pretty great. I'm not going to lie. No, it is. And with 13 years between our age, the fact that that was the first movie we both saw is pretty phenomenal. So Empire Strikes Back being the first run movie at the drive-in that our sister uh, took us to. Uh, to go and see it. And it was a double feature with at the newly coined A New Hope has always been my favorite because even though I was exposed to Hoth and all these cool elements of Empire, I really dug into the story of A New Hope. And Well, you'd never seen sand before. <laughs> well, being from Canada, that's true because... Uh... <laughs> The only sound we saw was when they were spreading it on ice roads for uh, driving conditions. So in a way, we both saw the prequel that way. Ah. Because we saw Empire 
And then we went back, back and, saw, and a saw A New Hope. A New Hope. So we saw the prequel to the sequel. Yeah. Wow, further connection there. That's right. Yeah, we're pioneers of this thing. Exactly. We know what we're doing. <laughs> At the drive-in, you saw it with your sister and your yep. family. Right, exactly. And... Mm-hmm. I believe at the time, if I asked my sister if she would remember, I likely fell asleep during A New Hope. That's not surprising. You fell asleep during the Clone Wars film as well. <laughs> it's not surprising at all. However, with the... You did eventually wake up. Yes. To a slap across the face. Exactly. And, and then watch the rest of the film. And eventually, as VCRs became more prevalent and affordable, I still remember our top-loading VCR and renting Star Wars A New Hope and watching the crap out of that movie. Now, I didn't own it at the time. It was just always a rental. And how I just fell in love with the story, you know, it's self-contained. And as we've talked about in the past, A New Hope itself, or Star Wars, was a story that had a start and end. And if it was successful enough, it was going to have a sequel. But it could end there because it has a happy ending and, and right. the award ceremony. But mm-hmm. it introduced me to the characters that I had seen a sequel to and it gave me the backstory and made me love Empire even more. However, Star Wars itself will always be my favorite Star Wars movie because that's where it all started for me. I had not the same experience. I had first seen it on VHS. So a couple of buddies of mine, Andrew and Zach, we were like inseparable and we were all like huge Star Wars nerds. I would say probably 40 weekends a year, we would all go to one of our houses on like a Friday night or a Saturday night. And like we'd rotate houses and we would watch the movies. Dang, 40 weekends. Almost every weekend we were at one of our houses. That's cool. And so we would watch the movies on VHS and... My buddy Zach's copy um, broke, basically. (laughs) Basically, it wore out. We wore it out. So they both had the original trilogy box sets. Normal aspect ratio. Yes. So then, and and I didn't have a copy. So, you know, I was like huge into Star Wars. My parents were like, we got to get in the movies. We're sick of going to a video store for this stuff. You know what I mean? (laughs) So... They didn't talk to each other, but they both – well, I, I mean they, they talked to each other. They have a great relationship. Anyway, but they didn't talk to each other about this. This specific S- gift. Right, exactly. <laughs> they, they talk to each other every day. They, they have a wonderful, healthy, and wholesome marriage. So anyway, um, they both decide he needs these movies. So my mom and my dad both get me a set of the movies one Christmas, <laughs> and it's like – all right. So my mom got me the same one that they had. I was like, oh, Star Wars, awesome, cool. You know, yeah. a couple gifts later, I opened a big, like, rectangular box. It's got Darth Vader on the cover. I was like, it says Star Wars. What is this? Because the other one's the movies. And I opened up, and it was the widescreen movies. Oh, the coveted like, widescreens. I was like, all right. So then, so my parents look at each other, and they're like, you're only keeping one. <laughs> so, so since my friends had the other one, I'm like, this one's cool. Take this one. You know, I got the widescreen one. And it was like in the theater without the sides chopped off. You could see the whole screen. You nice. know what I mean? And that worked out very well for me. And then now that the TVs are more widescreen again, it works out even better <laughs> because it's the template for for the ungeorged digitized edition. The coveted ungeorged digitized versions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, when Bernadette and I were dating, I had a copy of the library case style trilogy where <laughs> it's the three movies sandwiched in a sort of a cardboard box, right? Yeah. And that was a widescreen yeah. editions. And as required in Quebec law, everything was in French and in English. And ah, the oui, titles oui. In cor- included... But uh-huh. the movies were either English or French. What's the French title? La Guerre des Étoiles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I likely had a copy of Star Wars A New Hope. If I had it or it was a secondhand gift from a friend. But 
having that trilogy in that, let's be honest, a perishable format versus mm-hmm. the DVD versus the um, laser disc. Blu-ray or laser disc. Exactly. Having the ability to be able to buy that trilogy as a gift to myself, it really presented a, uh, a milestone. It's like, you know what? I'm investing in this trilogy because it's such an important part of my youth and my uh, creativity. It was worth every penny of it. And man, did I play the crap out of those versions. <laughs> yep. Oh, yeah. And, you know, and like you said, it's such a cool thing to have in, in such great shape to be able to because to, I remember when I first showed you mine and, and you tried to steal them. Um, yeah. So um, it well, just I put white gloves those, on so you wouldn't get the fingerprints. But yes, that's well, I think it was more so you wouldn't damage them. Right. Well, the finger. Yeah. Right. The oils, the skin right. oils. Exactly. The yeah. You, that. It's, yeah. Like, it's a priceless artifact. <laughs> belongs in a museum. museum. So um we totally watched the ins and outs, the fronts and backs. And, of course, mine had the Leonard Malton, George Lucas interview ahead of them. Yes. Which, so, again, very rare. Yeah. It's still interesting to watch. Back in probably, it was, what, like, 94, maybe? Yeah, just before they announced the... Because, yeah. because they were, that was like, the that was it. And in fact, there's a advertisement before the film starts. It's like, your last chance to buy Star Wars and the original version or whatever. And it's like, that's it. And then, of course, he's interviewed by Leonard Walton. Sure enough, a year or so later, they start talking about the 20th anniversary and how they're going to have the special editions come out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those special editions really presented a quandary because it was Star Wars re-released in the theaters. Yes. But... And it was exciting for people like me because I had never seen them in theaters. Right, right. You and, had caught them in the yeah. uh, driving. Yeah, and then Return of the Jedi in theater proper and it released. And my, my sisters who took me to go and see the first two took me to go and see Return of the Jedi in the literal blockbuster lineup around one of the few cinemas playing it back then. And we stood probably about an hour in that queue to get tickets to go and see it. It was pretty cool. Busting that block. Exactly. (laughs) There's a reason (laughs) why it's called that. (laughs) um, I had not seen any of them in their theatrical release uh, for unknown reasons, Um, but mainly because I was not born. But um, <laughs> that so, does have an effect on things. <laughs> I, I would imagine so. Yes. So then, being alive when they were re-released in theaters was very cool. Yeah, I got these special edition posters that had like the release dates on them. Mm. So I like, had my my Star Wars calendar all marked with like, hey, Mark, <laughs> with with when the um, when they were coming out. So then, of course, you know, went to see them opening day because I think it was like. January, February, March, or something. Yeah, it was that they were yeah. released. Mm-hmm. It was like like a month apart of it, so I was like there, there, and there. So it was just, you know, as a Star Wars I'd seen a hundred times at that point, but on the big screen, which was fantastic mm-hmm. and different, because it wasn't the Star Wars I'd seen a hundred times. <laughs> <laughs> it was the same, but it had been changed. So I guess once George was then interviewed about these special editions, it came to light that there were a lot of things in his mind that he had kind of wanted to do that it, it didn't exist in right. the 70s yeah. or the 80s. So as technology caught up to his imagination and in time for the 20th anniversary, it's like, okay, well, then we can re-release with some of these changes that, that are more of what he had envisioned. Right. And as the creator, thank the maker. Oh, oh the maker. <laughs> you would give that creative freedom to modify what they have originally created. And putting aside the, the fandom acceptance of what we saw on screen to begin with, and what we were exposed to and how awesome it was as it was, there's always that leeway. And I saw the special edition New Hope in theater and I loved it, but it was like, oh, 
okay, that's not exactly I remember it. But since then seeing it, there's certain things that were changed. There were cut scenes that were reinserted. There was mm-hmm. some special effects that were, I, I don't know. I mean, am I being critical of it? Yeah, in the sense that I've, yes, I don't yes. think they necessarily add anything to it. Um, Storyline, there's some huge differences. But, eh, okay, well, that's that's what he wanted to do. But I think that the whole scene in the outside of Moss Eisley, in the town, the city center of Moss Eisley, is quite a bit busier. In the special edition. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you really get that sense of like, there's a lot going on here and busy coming and going. There's Rontos with Jawas and speeders kind of careening around them and things like that. And then a bunch of droids, a lifter droid out front, you know, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. just it's so much busier. Yeah. In the special edition, which I think is fine. I mean, you don't see like the smeared, uh, like, butter effect under luke's land speeder when he's uh, flying mm-hmm. through the desert True. so there's certainly some <laughs> aspects that are um improved when george was first talking about the whole idea of han owing this gangster job of money and everything they shot a scene with human java <laughs> and uh, it was really a stand-in for whoever and whatever they wanted Java to be, um, but they filmed it. So, unfortunately, they decided to do a CG overlay of Slug Java in that scene, which is cool, I think, as a deleted scene. But right. with all the allusions that Han makes to, you know, the mighty Java and how, you know, he's this ruthless gangster and all, it's kind of cool to not have seen him already you know yeah so then when we see him in the hangar it's like oh well that's him it's one of those things that i feel kind of takes away from it and that same scene you see like two other rodians that are wearing the exact same outfit that (laughs) that greedo is wearing so you're like, okay, I guess that's the, you know, white t-shirt and jeans of Rodia, I guess. <laughs> and of course, Fett is there as well yeah. in the background. But, which, I mean, makes sense if he's working for Java anyway. You know, that really, I think, is my biggest gripe with the special edition for A New Hope. Because I like that whole mystery surrounding Java that you just really don't get. Because... Let's face it, if we all knew that this crime lord that Han owed money to was a space slug, you think we'd all be worried for Han? (laughs) No. There's certainly an aspect of mystery to it that without seeing him and knowing who he was, you build that unknown character in your mind. And if George is original, and obviously it was, he wanted to have this... Jabba the Hutt character as part of the story. Mm-hmm. Right. If the Star Wars movie was not successful, it wouldn't be a sequel, we would never know who that was. It was just this bad, you know, this baddie. But he serves a purpose as a storyline to drive Han Solo's story arc that he's compelled to pay off this debt, pulls him right. away from the rebellion. But as we talked about in our Chewie episode, if it wasn't for Chewie, he wouldn't have come back in the Death Star run to help Luke ultimately destroy the Death Star. So it still serves a purpose without having seen him. Right. And I don't think it's necessary to see him. No. And does it make it better to see him in the special edition? No. Absolutely not. The answer is no. It's so... (laughs) It's unfortunate because, like you talked about, it was, you know, Harrison Ford walking around a human. And so he just walked around him in one scene. And like you said, Boba Fett's in the background. But of course, he's a space slugget now. So then they did a CG raise of Han to simulate him walking over his tail. <laughs> now, it's 1997. Yeah. So I get that. But right. we're also talking about Jurassic Park in 1995 doing yes. an amazing job that still stands up today with CGI. So in the same way that George felt that he couldn't film that and included in the movie in 1977 the 
solution with which he had at his disposal in 1997 didn't succeed enough in my mind to make it worthy of including in the movie. Yeah, it's one of those things that like some of the stuff is debatable whether or not it adds to the franchise. And then some of the stuff without a doubt takes away from the franchise. We don't need to quote unquote know that Han was defending himself against Greedo. Okay. You can read the subtitles. Essentially, Han says, you can take my money and forget you saw me over my dead body. And then Greedo says, that's the idea. That's an implication that he's going to shoot him. We Mm -hmm. don't need him to shoot at Han for Han to feel threatened. Firstly. Mm -hmm. Secondly, if he just, quote unquote, shoots Greedo in cold blood, that makes him a bad guy. He was a bad guy. Absolutely. He was a smuggler. Mm -hmm. He was not a good guy. He was a liar. He was a sneak. He was most likely a cheat. Um, So (laughs) so there's many aspects of first appearance Han Solo that are not, let's just face it. Like if he came up to your door to take your daughter out for a date, you're not going to let this guy take your daughter out for a date because he's bad (laughs) news. He's bad news. Okay. And that's part of the beauty of the trilogy is He is this guy that's bad news. And, you know, life circumstances being what they may led him to where he is. But then those influences, those wholesome influences that he's got now with the purity of Luke and the the hopefulness of Leia and the nobility of Obi-Wan, those sort of influences change him in, I would say, two films by the time Indiana Jones is stuck in that metal coffin. (laughs) Um, He's a different person than when we first see him. Hmm. And then that's just more reinforced in Return of the Jedi. But that's part of the beauty of character development is he starts out as not a good guy Mm -hmm. and he becomes a good guy. Right. So you don't need to demonstrate that he's really not that bad of a guy. That's for the story to unfold and tell us. Right. And furthermore, listen, if you're going to send Greedo to hustle money out of a guy that owes you money, do better know how to shoot. (laughs) He is literally three feet away and he misses by like 25 inches. (laughs) Like he's tall. He's way off. Like, was that shot supposed to scare Han? Because the only thing it did was make him pull the trigger under the table and pow, okay? (laughs) Which, if you saw the other version ahead of that, all he had to do was say, that's the idea, Solo, and pow, under the table. (laughs) So, really, like, it doesn't even make sense. It doesn't. You know, as you've said many times, Han shot only. Right, (laughs) Not Han shot first. Han shot first, Han shot only. (laughs) And, And I will extend that to... You know, you can give the barkeep a tip, but don't apologize for that mess. That was his own doing. <laughs> Greedo. Slimo Greedo. Slimo. Anyway, so there's that kind of thing. The Greedo, the Java scene, that are just not good. But as far as the special edition goes, you can debate some of them as being an addition or a subtraction or a kind of neutral. But then there's some that are absolutely subtractions from the story. And those two included. Right. Greedo shooting first, well, that didn't come down to special effects or the lack of ability to be able to do it in the past. They could have done that in the original. Right. Which is silly. No matter what kind of computer graphics you have. Correct. It's silly. So it (laughs) becomes more of a contextual change versus a artistic change, in my opinion. Yes. Okay, so before we get to the next section, we're going to take a quick break here, Uh and we'll be right back. Okay. Ah, this thing won't start. Hi, I'm Dad Tresco Jr. of Tresco's Family Speeders. This weekend only, it's an explosion of savings. Get double the value for your trade 
towards a new X36 land speeder, no matter the condition. Stop in to see our friendly staff. These savings won't last long at either of our Alderan locations, located in the third sector or our flagship store in the central spaceport today. And welcome back. Thank you for that sponsor. I need to get mine inspected, actually. Tresco's has a great yes. uh, body shop, too, by the way, if you're looking for uh, Good. body work. Yeah. Just yep. before the break, we talked about the special editions and their additions and subtractions. Yes. But those being the master copies now, and you can't see them anywhere else unless you have well, our well. un-George editions <laughs> or yep. a VCR that yep. still works and the original copies. The official Lucasfilm and Disney stance is that those are the only movies that are available. And furthermore to that is that even with the editions on Disney Plus, um, yes, the McClunky, oh the McClunky change or yeah. modification, that's like a what fourth, fifth, sixth tweak to the movie. Yeah, and I feel like instead of McClunky, he should have just said Ichuta. Yeah. Because who are we kidding? Good. That's what you're getting at anyway. Exactly. And <laughs> how far reaching is Echuta at this point? You know, we're talking about some of the Book of Boba Fett right now coming out and how prevalent that is with Mandalorian and a lot of the current And Star then Fennec just dropped a Dank Ferric. So there you go. Exactly. I like that. Yeah. And I like Star Wars curse words. And where do we first hear Dank Ferric? <laughs> Mando. So, yeah, Mando. And uh, which character specifically? Grogu. <laughs> <laughs> Could you imagine? Gay. Thank fair. Thank fair. But Ichuta was from uh, Empire. So like, yeah, you know, that's the same time frame. Yeah. That's derogatory towards Irish people. And I take offense to that. I'm half Irish. <laughs> <laughs> what are you oh, calling us all half drunkards? Half drunkards. Well, Fool. <laughs> you're generous. Oh, man. So it's obvious that we don't own these movies, so they, they can tweak them and make modifications as much as they want. So they're always in flux to a certain degree, and diehard fans will pick out these little changes and will realize them and talk about them and pull them apart and dissect them and have commentary on them. But for the general viewing audience, they're still the original movies. And yes. when someone has a chance to watch them, whether or not they're in the background when one is doing household chores or star wars celebration orlando that we had the opportunity to go and see they were in the grand hall upstairs mm -hmm. after it was over for the day so it finished up and we kind of hung out on the showroom floor a little bit beyond closing i think until they were like you guys gotta go stop <laughs> stop trying to touch the custom cars <laughs> you need to leave so we did leave. However, upstairs in the Grand Hall at the Orlando Convention Center, where they did the major panels, yes, they had a screen down and they were airing the films. Oh. And it just was... I mean, when you go see Star Wars movie, they're Star Wars fans, mm -hmm. okay? 90% of them are Star Wars fans, and then, like, the other 10% are their moms or whatever. I don't know. Um, <laughs> so... <laughs> I'd say they're girlfriends, but only a lucky few of us uh, <laughs> ever ended up with girlfriends. But that being said, when you're at a place like Celebration, that is like, I'd venture to say the only people that are there are super fans. Mm -hmm. Because you're paying decent money yes. to be there. You're most likely flying in from somewhere. It's not like... An afternoon at the movies. Right. It's like you've planned this for eight months mm -hmm. or two years. Right. Or whatever the case may be. Yep. So so you're all super fans. And at this point, after hours, the con is over. People have already filtered out. This is like bonus time. Yeah. The con ended at like 7 p.m. And this was after that. We didn't look for seats for a crazy amount of time, but we slipped in and there were seats maybe six or eight rows from the back yes that we found that's vacant. all there was <laughs> yeah it was pretty packed yeah you know the energy and excitement it was strange because 
you see this in new Star Wars movies. You know, the, the opening crawl comes. Everybody, yeah, you know, hey, yeah, you know, they're all excited. But, like, this is the same thing these people have seen dozens upon dozens of times. Yes. Yep. If not hundreds of times. Yes. And the energy and the excitement with all of those people together was almost amplified by itself. I completely agree. It was as if we were all seeing it for the first time. It was magical. You can go to a regular Comic-Con. You can do all these different types of things. But as a Star Wars fan, to be at a Star Wars celebration, anything and everything is just, like, multiplied by the fact that not only do you care so much about it, but that everyone else there does as well. Right. From the other attendees to all of the people there. I mean, every one of the celebrity guests had gone and done interviews on the live stages and just been there and been present and been a part of the experience. It's not a con. It's a whole different experience. To watch A New Hope that way is its own unique experience. It is. And we were there for one day. We were there for Saturday. Yeah. Yes. And without that movie, we wouldn't have been sitting there. And that's the, not the irony of it, but the, the, the poignant part of that is that we're watching with a couple hundred other super fans who had spent the entire day there to watch a movie they've all seen hundreds of times, like you said, on, let's, let's say it, you know, a subpar screen because it's just a projection at that point. We've all seen it in much more superior uh, conditions, but it doesn't matter. We're sitting there amongst people who love the movie. It doesn't matter what format it is. We all know the lines. We all know the, the music. It's that movie. It's the shared experience. Yes. Like you said before, where we're walking around that con and seeing these different cosplayers. And I'll never forget that one you pointed out to me where there was this character and i'll call him a character right now uh coming up the escalator <laughs> yes. and he had a beard and hair but all these and tattered jedi robes. yeah tattered jedi robes and he's i don't know like a, a swiss army knife of weapons behind him i'm like oh that's kind of cool looks sort of like obi-wan yeah. and you're like that is obi-wan that's obi-wan from the comics that's obi-wan after he goes to tatooine and is sort of like looking over luke and it's a whole other story. And this is 2017. Yeah. Years before they announced the Kenobi series. And oh, yeah. that's how deep of a cut that people go into these cons. And that's how dedicated these fans are to these experiences. Absolutely. And to bring it all back to simply watching a low resolution version of the movie on the screen with the shared uh, experience of a couple hundred other people. That's what it's all about is just the cultural uh, touchstone that is Star Wars A New Hope. Yeah, and that's the other key, too, is no matter how many times you've seen it, depending on your mood, depending on, you know, what else you've got going on in life, um, if you have anything else going on in life that's not Star Wars, <laughs> um, you know, it's going to impact you in different ways. But to be in a literal grand ballroom with... I would say even more than several hundred. Okay. Yeah, that's true. Because it's, it's, it's a large room. It was the I, largest I room there. I don't there. know that yeah. you're giving it as much credit as it deserves. But to be in that experience is the closest thing to compare it to is in the cinema. Yep. However, mm -hmm. that's not even the experience you get mm -hmm. because they're just amplified by these fans. Mm -hmm. all collectively experiencing it uh, together, right. which is really a very, like I said before, unique experience and, and one that you're not going to get in any other situation. The theater experience versus this experience was that most likely every person in that room that night had seen it multiple times versus theater, which may have been a fan who had seen it plus someone who had seen it once or sort of tagging along for a date or to uh, placate someone to whatever. Yes. So these are all. We saw the notebook from Amos, your Star Wars. <laughs> <thing or whatever. laughs> 
<laughs> Notebook's a good movie, though. Um, but uh, <laughs> but yes, yeah, so that's that's a very good point. Is that it's hundred percent attention on that movie was yeah. guaranteed in that hall that night. And the other very unique thing about the original Star Wars film was that with shopping the film around to different film studios, George really had an idea to monetize it in a different way and to tie in merchandise Mm. related to the film. And that's something that hadn't really been done before. Yep. So... Most of the executives looked at him like he was crazy. And like he had two heads and they're like, you want to make toys for this movie? All right, fine, whatever. That's cool. You want all of the financial rights to these like toys and blankets and, you know, cups and stuff? All right, whatever, fine. Then we're going to make this movie and we'll make the money off of it because you want to make money off of like posters and stuff. And he kind of pioneered that, and it worked out astoundingly well. For him. <laughs> yes, the foresight like, in that move was crazy. Yeah, and it's like then you end up with character names that you didn't even know until you bought the toy, <laughs> because they didn't have names in no. the cantina. No, they didn't. You know, <laughs> you didn't know who Walrus Man was. No, nope. you just knew he's the guy that didn't like Luke and got his arm lopped off. <laughs> You know what I mean? So that kind of stuff is like super influential. You're talking about stuff that's groundbreaking and stuff that hadn't been done before. That's certainly one of them. Oh, for sure. I'll tell you, I went bananas. Anytime I had just enough money, including tax, (laughs) to get myself a Star Wars figure, you bet I was at that store. Oh, absolutely. And I have the first figure that I bought. I bought two of them at the same time. But I also bought an unopened version of one of those figures as well. Ooh. I mean, they were all unopened at the time, but I opened most of them. <laughs> because... So so the, the first two <laughs> that I had purchased were Han Solo and Chewbacca. Wow. I did not know this. This is brand new to me. Even decades-long friendships can have new discoveries. <laughs> yes. So that Power of the Force Han on the card back is... I went back and got another one. Ooh, to be unopened. To keep it in the the package, yes. So I have him, I have Vader, and I have Stormtrooper that are from that original Power of the Force line. Wow. That that I didn't open. But again, you've got kids like me that were bananas over it. Mm -hmm. When I had most of them, I called the store before I went over there because I wasn't going to head all the way over there if all they had (laughs) was the ones I had already. So those poor employees, I'm like, go to the toy aisle. Tell me what they got. And they're like, oh, it's this kid again. You know what I mean? No, no, no. Seriously, I just need to know if you've got Lobot. Do you have Lobot? I want Lobot. You know? So it was incredibly effective. I'm sure that there were many, many, many kids just like me. And that's the beauty of it is that with George Lucas, who at Foresight, taking a hit on the compensation of the movie itself to retain those rights for marketing after and mm-hmm. action figures and toys, whatever, um, revolutionized what a franchise could be. Then you fast forward to the 80s when you got like He-Man or whatever. Yeah, G.I. They built toys and then created cartoons around them to sell them like they had yeah. flipped the script because they had seen what George Lucas had done with Absolutely. Star Wars itself. Those are monumental signposts in the industry. And what George Lucas and Star Wars had done at that point was create an entire new way of marketing a movie. Just completely blew the doors off of what Hollywood could see as a money-generating series. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And as we're talking about the influences let alone the trilogy itself what this singular film has done for everything Mm -hmm. from special effects like ilm and that even translates to like the volume what they're doing in in mandalorian stuff totally to the standards that george established with how he marketed and merchandised and everything 
to the cultural impact and the influence that the film and franchises had on everything, you know, like other shows, popular culture, everything has a Star Wars filter. Yes. It's very interesting to see like um, (laughs) when Mark Hamill guest starred on The Simpsons and basic storyline is, you know, Mark is on Broadway doing Guys and Dolls. (laughs) It's just so ridiculous because in Guys and Dolls, you know, there's luck be a lady. But but (laughs) since Mark is Luke in so many people's minds. They just ran with it, and they're like, Luke, be a Jedi tonight. So <laughs> so he's, like, singing the song, and he's like, guys, I'm pretty sure this isn't in the musical. You know, like, like Mark himself is like, but that's how much of an impact that the movie and the franchise has had on everything. So then you have absolute homages, like Robot Chicken and Family Guy. Right. And that just proves the cultural impact of, the original Star Wars. And these creators who, between your age and my age at this point, are heads of creative of whatever show, whatever network they're in, and yeah. reminisce how impactful those movies are, and the entire age range would appreciate that. And that then spawns secondary appreciations for the story. It's not only permeates through all of pop culture, but then back in on itself you watch the prequels with the idea of like oh let's see where it started right and then arguably the best of the prequels is the one that leads up to the original you know so you know obviously it all points back to that one because that's the one it's a testament to how strong the story is and to how quotable (laughs) <laughs> and <Yes. laughs> uh, reproducible the whole thing is. <laughs> I think we'd be remiss if we didn't mention two other references to the original film where um, one of your favorites would be Mark Hamill's appearance on The Muppets. Absolutely, yeah. Because you were a huge Muppets fan when, yeah. they, were, when they were first exactly. on as well. And it, it was regular watching for the entire family. It was wholesome yeah. sort of Sunday night watching of the Muppet Show, and when Mark Hamill or Luke Skywalker, <laughs> as I did not have yes. have the ability to separate them, I was right. literally mind. It didn't hurt that he was in costume. Ex- well, that's true too. Yeah, so um, <laughs> it wasn't like he was wearing a, a green sweater. Or anything. <laughs> Heaven forbid. But that absolutely was. I could not believe it. Uh, not having TV Guide or the internet, it was just like, hey, what's on Muppet Show this week? It's like, ha oh. <laughs> And I don't even know if I, re- you know, related the actor. And tonight's special guest star, Mark Hamill. Yeah! <laughs> I, you know, I doubt I had that connection. It was Luke yeah. Skywalker. is like mind blown. It was a uh, an accessible show for being a kid, but I had already been a fan. It's like, glued to the tv set for that whatever 24 minutes whatever it was oh yeah and then uh you know there's the more recent homages where you get star wars fans filming other movies it happened to be in the desert (laughs) and um and they decide in a break between shooting let's uh let's do the uh r2 and c3po scene from Tatooine. Right. And uh, so on the set of Paul, Simon Pegg and Nick Frost <laughs> attempt to to reshoot scene by scene of, I imagine, R2 and C-3PO's interactions through A New Hope. Yes. They only last the one scene. <laughs> it's on YouTube and it's amazing. But of course, them being huge Star Wars fans, then of course... Simon Pegg gets a little role in the sequels, which yes. it's very cool because it then is. you've got these fans of the original that, that are using a satire and, and kind of adding to the uh, catalog of Star <laughs> Wars in their own way. Yeah, that particular clip you're talking about is not only brilliant because it's so funny and their interpretation and their characterizations of who they're portraying, but their 
rudimentary cosplay, you know? Yes. Um, yes. Nick Frost wearing like a garbage can top for R2's <laughs> yes. and dome. Cardboard. Yeah, and it's brilliant and it's hilarious, yes. but it's also very inspired because it takes the practical effect love that George yeah. originally created with Star Wars and carried forward in Rogue One. And we see it in the sequel series. We see it in the current stuff that's on Disney Plus, whether it be The Mandalorian, The Book of Boba Fett. There's that love for practical effects and uh-huh. um, taking things to the honest place where we can make this happen in real life and make it still believable. Nick Frost and Simon Pegg make it hilarious and practical. So it's a perfect <laughs> marriage. Oh my goodness. What a mess. Uh, one of our favorites. Uh, yeah. Often quoted. <laughs> Yes, yes, probably too often. And it really does prove that beyond Disney, Star Wars, the the larger sort of corporate side of it where they're pumping out Star Wars branded material, there are hundreds of thousands, if not millions of fans who are doing their own versions of cosplay or fan movies or fan fiction or and daily taking inspiration from the original story and making it their own. That's... Yeah. That that just builds fandom from it, and it all comes back from a movie that was released in 1977. That's pretty. That's pretty yeah. amazing. There's not many examples of that in the history of entertainment that can carry forward 40 odd years. Someone can take it who's never even seen uh, the original movies in theaters, yet can still take a piece of it and still enjoy it, and then make it their own. Then you've got the influences on cosplay culture and mm-hmm. and how. Some people will do exact recreations from the screen. Mm -hmm. And even cartoon stuff, they drag it into reality, which is amazing. But then you've got the people that take the idea, and then they're doing their own characters, their own sort of original character work. Yeah, and it's those little visual cues or color palette or texture or, or clothing that immediately brings it into Star Wars, and it becomes authentic immediately and you can pick them out in a crowd and like you've brought up you know to me before we even started doing this was disney bounding where you can wear a simple piece of street clothing as it were right whether it's a shawl a a hoodie and then you combine that with uh capri pants and suddenly oh wow that's ray phenomenal that's the inspiration to create from the foundation that george created way back when and that's that's pretty high praise Yeah, all sorts of influences in pop culture that, like, one of my favorites is it's Han Solo season again. And you see, like, a picture of 20-year-old girls with their white shirts, their black vests, and they're like, oh, yeah, you know, they're they're blue pants and boots. And it's like, that's Han Solo season. And they're like, all three of them are wearing the same outfit. And it's like, you all look like Han Solo. You know what I mean? It's fall, yes. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and it's that kind of thing where it's like, that's not just like a cute fall outfit. You're cosplaying. I think it's Han Solo. Well done yeah. on your uh, on your bounding. <laughs> right, right, exactly. It's that kind of stuff where you'll see something somewhere and be like, that's a Star Wars thing. Yeah. Or it reminds me of a Star Wars thing. Yeah. It's just a very, I, I don't want to say it's a strange thing because I've been thinking and feeling that way my entire life right so so it's not strange to me but it's certainly strange to normal people that like in almost anything there's an element that can be tied back to either a memory or a design element that fits yeah into this world that all started back when lucas was trying to drag his dream from his brain to screen and how far we've come since then no it's totally true wow (laughs) all that from one movie uh, yeah, in the immortal words of Steve Rogers, we could do this all day. <laughs> we could. And end of part one. <laughs> <laughs> Let's start with part four. <laughs> uh, yep. There you have it. I think it makes sense to describe just how impactful it is on society because it's been, in fact, impactful on us, mm-hmm. both individually and together. Absolutely. You know, because well, we were both influenced by Star Wars before we even met. Yeah. But then, you know, obviously this, for example, this, uh, you know, talking into microphones business 
and 77 um, times <laughs> right and had i not made an offhanded star wars reference in your presence upon our first meeting would we be friends i don't know <laughs> but acquaintances just, maybe yeah i mean you know maybe with that being a tie that binds i'd say it, it has bound pretty well absolutely <laughs> and look where we are today amongst all of these episodes that we've done but also dozens of friends and a massive community of people who all find this original movie as a foundation of connection so that's a small fraction of the legacy that george has imprinted on sci-fi uh, cinematic pop culture community is not only this film but 10 others yeah and everything all the books and novels and comics and and everything else that that has spawned from this that that's expanded into such a huge vast and encompassing saga that rules our lives day mm -hmm. after day <laughs> <laughs> so before we get into the scene-by-scene -scene breakdown of a new hope we're gonna take a quick break just kidding <laughs> <laughs> oh wait we're kidding i have notes <laughs> oh man um so that takes care of not necessarily a exploration of the movie itself but just how no. the movie yeah. affected us and affected everyone around us and also the entire world that was very cool that was a lot of fun so i suppose we say all that just to say that this is just good star wars it is it's um, just good star wars because <laughs> because when when you say everything like like you just got done laughing it's it's very uh you know it's just it's one of those things that's really it's just good star wars <laughs> We're online at all the typical places. Um, Y'all know the spiel. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, like, we've got a website. We're on the, the, the tubes and the twits and the instas and all that stuff. All that good, good jazz. <laughs> um, so go to our website and you can find all that stuff exactly. somewhere. <laughs> exactly. I, you know, listen, it's been 30 hours oh that I've been up. So let's, you know. <laughs> Cut me a break. All right. Let's got. We're also on the You've Red been... 5 Network. Oh, yeah, we are. We've got many good friends. Yes. The Force is what gives the Jedi his power. It's an energy field created by all living things. It surrounds us and penetrates us. It binds the galaxy together. <laughs> 